title of the message today is Adjustments. And um, I also thought, well, I guess I could title it, uh, Are You Ready to Pay Full Price? And I know how many people look for sales, look for opportunities to save some money, uh, don't want to pay full price for things. And so we're going to kind of touch on that today as we talk about the cost of following Jesus. But at the same time, we're going to talk about how God wants us to adjust our lives to him in his calling and to his will. And nobody adjusts their lives any more than moms do. Moms adjust their lives when they begin to bear that precious child within them. They adjust their, the way they look, their appearance. And I know, guys, you can tell your bride, you know, there's, you're so beautiful when you're pregnant. You're so beautiful. And they're going to say, no, I'm not. I'm fat. But they do. They adjust their appearance. They adjust their style. They have to adjust the way they dress, what they eat, how to get out of a chair, if they can sometimes. But there's adjustments that they make. And then when that precious child is born, they continue to adjust their life even more. They don't tell that little child, we eat lunch at 11. No, they nurse and feed that child when that child cries and is hungry. And that doesn't change when they get older because, gosh knows, and I'll speak for boys right now, that uh, five-year-old boy, when he says he's hungry, find him something to eat because he's going to go find something himself to go eat. So they continue to adjust mealtime. Their schedules work around the kids. I've even saw a commercial one time where a mom was... She was in the bathroom with the door shut, and she goes, this is the only private time I get. So moms adjust their lives constantly. And, you know, we're all capable of adjusting our lives, and we can do it. We just don't want it to be terribly inconvenient. Or we can adjust our lives if we really like you. Then we can make exceptions. Today, we want to do some soul searching and see how we should adjust our lives to God's will and to his calling. So grab your Bibles like your life depend upon it because it does and turn to the 14th chapter of Luke. I'll begin in the 25th verse. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will you not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he, has, he cannot be my disciple. 
carrying your own cross, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but that was one thing Jesus knew that the folks understood that it was a submission to Rome. Jesus was getting the crowds to think about the enthusiasm they were having as they followed him. And he encouraged those who who were superficial to either go deeper or to turn back. One way I can relate this story to you is a story about a, a rabbit. Now, let's stay with me as we go through this whole story now. But there was a a young man that wanted to, to be closer to God. And so he was seeking someone to mentor him and to get him to that particular point. And you see, it seems that people in their church, as in the church today, seem to have lost the cost of following Jesus. And so he went to this elderly man because he wanted to understand God's redemption. And one day the believer went to this elderly man because he seemed to have everything that it took to be a believer in Christ. He saw this man in love with the Lord. So the old man was sitting on his porch with his dog as this young believer came up and said, why is it most Christians chase after God during the first couple of years and after their decision to follow him, but then they fall into complacent ritual of merely attending church and getting comfortable with where they are, but they've lost their passion for Christ. He continued, but I have heard that you are not like that. I have heard that you are fervently, you have fervently sought after God throughout your years as a believer. People see something in you that they don't see in most Christians. What makes you different? The elderly man smiled and said, let me tell you a story. One day, my dog and I were sitting on the porch, much like we are today, and a rabbit came by. And my dog took off barking and chasing after that rabbit. Soon other dogs, hearing him barking as he chased, joined in on the chase. He said, it was quite a sight to see as I tried to keep up with them as they ran across creeks and up stony embankments and through thickets and thorns. However, as the chase continued, one dog after another dog dropped out of the chase. They had become discouraged, maybe by the course or by the frustration. You see, only my dog continued the chase. The old man said, there's your answer. And the young man sitting there confused, probably like the disciples used to be when Jesus would tell a parable. They'd sit there and like, okay, that's nice, but I don't have a clue what you're talking about. He says, I don't understand how your dog chasing a rabbit has anything to do with the quest of God. And the man said, you have failed to understand because you failed to ask the obvious question. Why did the other dogs stop the chase? And the answer is that they, they had joined in the excitement of the group. You see, they had not seen the rabbit. Unless you've seen the rabbit, the chase is too difficult. You lack the passion and the determination necessary to keep the chase. So the questions today are this. Have you seen the Lord? Do you chase after God the person? Or do you pursue an idea of a religion? Do you fully understand what it means to carry a cross? In order to follow him, you must first 
encounter him and experience him. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in the, in the book Cost of Discipleship these words. We have cheapened grace, and cheap grace is a deadly enemy of the church. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Have we become a society in which inconvenience is unacceptable? Those words ring so true today. And I looked for illustrations and I found some in the weirdest place, but it makes perfectly good sense. I found some illustrations to help us understand that question if we are just looking for convenience today. These are actual responses that are placed on comment cards at a wilderness resort, uh, a national park that is a wilderness resort. So here's what these people said. You need new trails to be constructed. Please avoid making them uphill. Please pave the trails and have chairless lifts to get us to these wonderful sites. Some wolves kept me awake last night. Would you please eradicate these annoying animals? My favorite. A small animal came into my my camp last night and stole my jar of pickles. How can I be reimbursed? And the final one, a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. You see, these people are looking for convenience, and they're looking to be comfortable. They weren't looking for a true wilderness experience. There are millions professing to be Christians, but they don't understand the requirements of being God's child, much less being his servant. Their terms are not God's terms. When it comes to adjustments for God, people stop short of complete obedience or, this is my favorite, I've done this. You want to be obedient, but not right now. God will say, I have an assignment. You know what? That's a great assignment. God, I'd really love to do that, but tomorrow is the earliest I can put it on my schedule. Don't you think God would have given it to you tomorrow if he wanted you to do it tomorrow? He speaks to you today to be obedient today. Following Jesus is not an outing. It's not a philosophy. It's a personal, full-time commitment above everything else. You see, like the dogs that abandon the chase, unless you experience and see God working in your life, you will be distracted by the world and you will do the same as the other dogs did. We as humans are curious. We're curious people. Curiosity builds a crowd. And that's what built the large crowds around Jesus. They wanted to see what happened next. A woman asked a pastor one time, please tell me in one word, what is your idea of total commitment? And the pastor took a blank sheet of paper. He held it up. He handed it to her and said, write your name at the bottom of this piece of paper. And she did. She handed it back to him. He says, now... Let God fill out the rest of this paper. That's total commitment. You see, that means I no longer claim to be in charge of my life. God, you are in control, and whatever you want me to do,
to do, I will, listen to this part, I will accept it with full joy. The imagery of carrying your cross was meant as a signal of a journey that says goodbye. The cross was a cruel form of punishment used by the Romans. And humanly speaking, no one came back from a crucifixion, of course, except Jesus. It was a no-return journey to death. And Jesus was using this very, very vivid illustration with the intent of showing us that following him requires the same goodbye. Goodbye to our own will, goodbye to our desires, but our commitment is to him and him alone. We must be willing to put him first at all times. Many times we struggle with commitment, as I said earlier. Uh, We want to make a commitment when it's convenient for us. So I found another article. God God left me to some humorous things this week, and I just know God has a sense of humor. And so I found this church. Uh, It was a cartoon, but the name of the church was the Light Church, L-I-T-E, Light Church. And they said, we do things differently at our church. We don't require a whole lot. You're going to love our church. In fact, this is what they, their advertisement. We have 24% fewer commitments than other churches. We only require 7.5% tithe. Our sermons are never longer than 15 minutes. And we spend 45 minutes in worship songs. And we only require for you to keep eight of the Ten Commandments, and you can choose the eight that you want. And the final statement was, everything you wanted in a church and less. How often do we pick and choose when we want to follow the Lord? How often do we pick and choose what's important to us, whether it's important to God or not? So do adjustments or persecution in God's will give us grounds for spiritual divorce? Not at all. Does strife and tension mean we can't, we can put our faith on hold or even give up or give it back? Absolutely not. Following Jesus will require sacrifice and it will require us readjusting our lives. Readjusting it to his will. We admit that we are children of God. Can you admit that you are his slave? Some may think that this commitment is in contradiction of what the spiritual truth says about salvation. It says salvation is a free gift. Let me use an illustration to see if we can understand this a little bit better. There was a person that wanted to go skydive. That's right. A person wanted to jump out of a perfectly good plane and count on a piece of cloth to keep them alive. A piece of cloth packed in a backpack by somebody that they didn't know. So it seems like a really bad idea to me, but they really wanted to do this really bad. And then they they were told how much it would cost to go on this skydiving trip. And they decided that was too much. But there was a person that was listening to them and saw that they were really excited about it in the beginning and offered to pay for the skydiving trip. So it was going to cost them nothing. So they took him up on it. And then this person committed to several months of training. And during the training, began to understand that this free skydiving trip, 
very well could cost them their life. You know, because there are skilled skydivers that occasionally die in skydiving accidents. It was free, but it was costly. Following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus, adjusting your life to God's calling is the only thing that brings usefulness to our existence. It's not only about how many awards you have or how many students you have taught over the years or how much money you have or what kind of car you drive or where you live or how often you attend church or what your title is. None of that matters. It's your experience with the person that is the truth. Your relationship with the one that is sovereign. It's your blind faith in him who created all things. Following Jesus is the essence of life. We need to be totally dependent upon God. Because the only thing that matters is your relationship with God. So as we try to understand this total dependency, let me use a couple of scriptures just to help remind you. And these are familiar scriptures. You turn to John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. Remaining in Christ means believing that he is God's son. And that you're receiving him as your savior and Lord. And that you're doing what God asks you to do. And you continue to believe the gospel. And more importantly, you're relating in love to others. That same message. You turn to Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, from a legal perspective, God considered us, us all dead. We have died with Christ because our sins died with him. We no longer are condemned. And then relationally, we have become one with Christ and his experiences are our experiences. We died in unity with him to our old life. In our daily life, we must regularly crucify our sinful desires that we have and focus on Christ dying for us. As children of God, we focus not so much on the dying, but loving our living for him. We are reconciled with God and are free to grow in his likeness. We have Christ's resurrection power as we continue to fight sin daily. Isaiah 14, 24 reads, The Lord Almighty has sworn surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will stand. That's a prophecy from Isaiah that came to pass. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God gives us the assurance that he is with us, that he is our strength. And he will help us with that victory over death. Sometimes we get impatient in waiting on the Lord, but scripture is real clear that we should wait on him as we should hear him when he speaks to us. Psalms 33, 20, we will wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
in Psalms 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. It's so hard to wait on God. As smart as we are, as many things as we know that we can do, it's hard to wait on him, but we honor him when we wait on his timing. So allow God to choose the best time to change your circumstances and the best way to do that and join him in his work. You see, adjustments for God are frequently in areas you haven't considered. So we have to have a willing heart to what he asks and then trust him to enable us to do it. And that's a huge issue is trusting God. And so often we'll start something following him. Seems to be pretty easy. So we get ahead of him. And we begin to do things the way we want to do them. It usually, most often, ends up in total disaster. You see, he loves us enough to involve us in his work. And he refuses to leave us where we are when he knows we could be experiencing much more of him. The adjustments, the obedience required are in a direct response to God's leadership and how much we trust his leadership. We change our views to align with him. When you go from your purpose to his purpose, I promise you there will be an adjustment that's required in your life. When God moves, you cannot say, okay, when you get finished with that task, come back and get me. I want to help you with something else, but I really don't want to help you with what you just asked me. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. When God speaks, revealing what he's about to do, that revelation is his invitation to you to join him. That invitation to join him is also to join him in his purpose, in his ways, and give you the opportunity and free will to obey him. You see, Noah couldn't carry on life as usual and build an ark. Abraham, Abram couldn't stay in Ur and be the father of a nation in Canaan. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and stand in front of Pharaoh at the same time. He had no clue what he would need for God to do, yet each time he needed something, God stepped up. Because you see, it was God's plan. It wasn't Moses' plan. You know, it's a good thing that Moses, that day he saw that burning bush, didn't get all excited and say, you know what, we need to build a tabernacle right here and we'll be the church of the burning bush and leave it there. There was so much more to do. Ruth couldn't remain with her relatives and join the people of God in Israel. David had to leave his sheep to become king. Jonah had to leave his home and go against what he had been taught in order to preach in Nineveh. And Esther could not remain silent before the king and save her people. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their fishing business in order to follow Jesus. And in that scripture, highlight the word immediately. They immediately followed Jesus. Matthew had to leave his lucrative tax collecting job to follow Jesus. And Saul, he had to completely change his direction in order to 
be used by God to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Enormous changes and adjustments are required whenever God's people are determined to obey him. Even when the moment of a necessary adjustment is made, know this, God has already laid that plan into action. He's just inviting you to be part of it with him as his servant. Now, you may be thinking, uh, God won't give me any major task. So there won't be any major adjustments. Because he knows what I'm doing already, and he knows I'm doing it really well for him. I usher, I teach, I do this, I do that. I tithe, I attend church, so I, and I'm comfortable with that. And he, he wants me to be happy, so he's not going to give me anything that's going to take me out of my comfort zone because he wants me to be happy. You know, he gave his son up for us. Jesus could not stay where he was in heaven and be part of the Father's redeeming plan for humanity on earth. You know, even the Israelites, at one point, they get mad at Moses because they're getting out of their comfort zone of being slaves, and they have a fear Pharaoh may be mad at us. Sometimes we just don't think through what God's asking us to do. But more often, I think we question, is God really God? Is he really going to make this happen? You see, our tendency is to want God to adjust to us and our plans. We even believe that if we're comfortable in doing what we're doing, that if we thank him enough for where we are, that he'll just be all giddy about it and say, I'll just leave him alone. He's happy. That's not our purpose on this earth. Our thinking and actions must be aligned with his will and his ways, not our satisfaction and not our comfort. Pride, doubt, and fear for the future are so often behind the reluctance for us to be wholeheartedly accepting and following God's invitation to join him. Adjustments for Jesus may cause you you to change. It may cause you to change your circumstances, your job, your finances, your home, your relationships, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your thinking, your prejudices, methodology, your planning, your commitments to family, to church, to job, to traditions, your actions, how you pray, how you give, how you serve, and even your belief in God, his purpose, his ways, and your relationship with him. And know that when you have these changes, it not only affects you, but it affects those around you. Major adjustments come at a point of acting on your faith. The hard part is making the decision to follow Jesus. It's possible for us to be so busy trying to bring God into our activity that we miss that he's working around us or we miss the invitation to even join him. Often some will ask, well, how's your ministry? How's your faith? That simple question may be God prompting you to see that there's something else that you can do for him. There's something else that he's doing around you that he would love for you to join him. Often often our response is, well, 
Uh, yeah, but God didn't tell me to do that. Well, next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the joy of obedience, and we're going to talk about how God speaks to us, and sometimes he speaks through other people to us. He speaks through the, the Bible. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through church. And there may be a reason that you're not hearing him directly. It may be something in your life that needs to be removed because he's not number one in your life. You know what? Being able to identify an adjustment is not as important as actually making that adjustment. If I can get the worship team to go ahead and come on back up here. As I said, next Sunday, we're going to talk about the joy of obedience. We talked about the cost of obedience, and somebody says, you know, the cost of obedience, Pastor, is really a bum message. It's really a downer. Uh, I, I want to feel good. Well, next Sunday, if you pay the cost, you'll see the joy and see how you hear God working in your life. You see, you come to know God by experiencing as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through your obedience. Obedience is a moment of truth when you know the person who is truth. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone desires to come come after me, let him deny himself. That's an adjustment. And take up his cross. That's an adjustment. And follow me. And that's obedience. 